Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. One more time, this is John Russin. And my dear friend, Frank Friedman, is here again joining me. And Frank, I am pumped today because we've got such a great topic, don't we? Oh, uh, largely, I think, John, you know, we talk about sin. You say, how can that be a great subject? <laughs> but freedom from sin, that is a great subject. Oh, indeed. That's what we're talking about. So, Well, uh, please, I encourage you listeners, go back to last week's podcast. We've covered so much on the topic du jour, which is the power of sin. So please check that out. But I want to spend just a moment or two giving a brief snapshot of what we covered. Last week, we talked about, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 7, uh, the power of sin. And we talked about it from a series of different perspectives with one goal. That is so that you'll know who you are and you'll know who you're not. Mm -hmm. And when you choose to sin, why you hate it. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is the key to enabling us to reign in life. And this wraps around our whole topic of Romans 5.17. You recall, we began with Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. And we talked about one important fact there to remember. The sin in Genesis 4 is not an, uh, is not a, uh, an act. It's not an attitude. It's a thing. It's an object. It's a power. It's a not you that wants to control you. Uh, Frank, we talked about Romans 6, the power of sin and how it is not the old man. The sinful nature, we know that that's already been crucified. And we learn from Romans 7 that whatever this power of sin is, it dwells in our physical bodies. Uh, we looked at a little bit of definition. We looked at W.E. Vine, who called it a governing principle of power that is personified. So it's actually portrayed as a person throughout Scripture. And as we have talked through Romans, we've used Mr. Bill Gillum's trick of calling sin, Mr. Sin, personifying it. So it tends to keep our thinking straight about what exactly this is. And my friend, we're going to jump right back into Romans 614. Um, let me review where we left off last time. Can Romans I have 6, one comment, John? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Um, that What you just said is so important. When you call it Mr. Sin, in a sense, you give personhood to it, which really helps us understand that it's not us because you can't have two persons. You're not made up of two persons. That's all schizophrenia. So there, it's not us, but it makes us think it's us. And that's a tremendous distinction to understand that it's, it's almost another person. So it can't be us. The power of sin is in us but it's not us. And like we used to said last time, it's kind of like a splinter that's in your body. Uh, you're not that splinter, that splinter isn't you, but it's in there and it's causing some trouble. And isn't it interesting, my friend, one more depth of deception of the enemy 
if you can get us to be confused about the source of the, our acts of sin, we will tend mm. to wage war against ourselves instead yes. of who the true enemy is. Oh, that's a tremendous thought. He is so slick. We're going to cover that in just a few minutes. All right, let's jump right in here. Romans six fourteen. Uh, let me read that. For Mr. Sin has no mastery over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And my friend, last week, we ended with a quick snapshot of three verses you threw out there. Let me review these verses, and you can pick up where you left off. You talk, we talked about 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of sin is the law. We talked about Romans 5, 20, that the law entered that sin offense might abound. So more law, more sin. And then we wrapped up with Romans 7, 8. Mr. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me, the Apostle Paul speaking, all kinds of sin. So there we are, my friend, take off. Wow. Well, you know, as I was listening to you say those verses, John, I had this thought, uh, going all the way back to Genesis again, uh, it was sin to choose that tree of right and wrong in the first place. So it was sin to choose the economy of law. Fascinating. And now there's this entity called sin that comes along and will use the law to create more sin. It, it just shows you uh, the sinfulness of sin, uh, the evilness of sin. But it's fascinating. It uses the law to accomplish itself in your life. That verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of sin is the law. There we're told very clearly, sin's going to get his power from law. So when I say to you, don't touch that wall, instantly there's something inside that goes, hmm, why? Or I'm going to touch it. Or why does he not want me to touch it? And then there's some people that are out there that even go, oh, yeah, watch me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's me, man. Oh, yeah, here, hold this. Let me show you what I can do. So Romans 7 made it even clearer. And that was where Paul said, sin produced in me all manner of coveting. And so we said last time, that's why all diets fail. Because they'll say to you, don't eat the cookie, don't eat the cookie. And so you're going, don't eat the cookie, don't eat the cookie. And what are you thinking about doing? You're thinking about eating the cookie. And I'll tend to ask people, what are you going to do? And they'll say, I'm going to eat the cookie. I said, no, you're not. Read the next to the verse. It says it produced all manner. You're going to eat half the bag. And that's the way sin works. It, it tries to seduce you to have mastery over you. And the crazy thing is it uses the law to do it. And that's why God, I believe in his incredible wisdom, never wanted us to function according to law, but then is in incredible grace he will use the law against us uh, to so that sin will increase as romans 5 20 says and i think it's so we get sick of sin and it's an incredible thought in romans 5 the law came in that sin would increase let's think about that john yeah you and i are dads we made rules in our home don't run in the house we made the rule to stop them from running in the house. We did it with a good motive. We didn't want them to fall and get hurt. We didn't want them to break mama's favorite lamp, but we make a rule to stop a behavior. Romans 5.20 is incredible. It says the law came in that sin would get 
worse. So it tells us God's not afraid of sin. He's going to deal with it at the cross. But sin is going to increase in a lost system. And you say, why would God do that? Why would he allow that? I've thought about this for many years, John. I think it's so we'd get sick of sinning and say, is there a better way? And then God says, yes, there is my son and his spirit. And that's just so incredible. You know, it's, it's actually the ultimate Romans 8, 28. He used the sin in the garden that plunged the whole world into death. He took that, used it to drive us back to the tree of life. What an incredible God. He has done some pretty cool things. You know, last week, Frank, you, you twisted around a verse, not in a bad way, <laughs> but in a good way. Uh, and it has kind of stuck with me all week because there's a hook in it. I'm going back to uh, Romans 6, 14. For Mr. Sin has no mastery over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so you twisted that. And you said, well, but if you are under law, if you are living by outside principles, guidelines, uh, the Ten Commandments, anything aside from the Spirit of God, from the grace of God, uh, if you're living under that and you're not under grace, then sin is going to have influence in your life. It's guaranteed. So the very thing you're doing to try to keep you more in line is going to have just the opposite effect. Boy, how frustrating when you think you're working so hard, but you can't ever succeed. How exhausting. No wonder people get disgusted with Christianity. Yeah, I just had a question come in last week on the, you know, our little blog ministry called Frank Uncensored. And the person said, why do Christians act so elite? Why do they think theirs is the only true religion? And I told the person, I said, that's a great question, but it reveals a great misunderstanding. We don't think it's the best religion because Christianity is not a religion. We do not have an ethic-focused goal in our lives. We don't have a code or principles or anything like that. The truth is, if you really understand Christianity, we've been delivered from all those codes and ethics and conduct and all that to a person, to a life. And Jesus is the only one that ever lived the Christ life. He's the only one that can live the Christ life. And in the new covenant economy, he's come to live his Christ life in and through us. And our only responsibility is to walk by faith that he's going to accomplish that. And so the moment we take our eyes off of him, that Romans 614 stated differently, we're going to be back under law and the law is going to produce sin. And it's either going to be, like you said, you just can't win. It's either going to be guilt and condemnation because you can't live it and you're failing all the time or if you do pretty good at it never going to do it perfectly but if you do pretty good you'll start to look at other people and judge them and condemn them and become very prideful and we say that's why the church in america and really all over the world john is really so weak and anemic because much of the time we're not offering to people anything 
different than any other religion. We're just offering a code with the name of Jesus tacked on it. And that's not true Christian faith. No, it's not. And your comments lead me to, to think of the verse in Romans 6. You who once were slaves of Mr. Sin have now become obedient from the heart. And we have been set free from Mr. Sin. This is where it hinges on the point you just made. We have been set free from Mr. Sin, and we've now become slaves to righteousness. So there's a freedom from that entire bondage performance cycle that most Christians don't understand. Most churches don't preach. That's uh, To me, that's just jaw-droppingly stunning when I read mm. that verse. Oh, boy, Junk, if I could speak just a minute into that, this idea of freedom, freedom from sin. So it's freedom from, but it's also freedom to. It's freedom to righteousness and righteousness, of course, is the person of Jesus. So I tell people that true freedom is the freedom to be what you were created to be. And I read this statement by a guy a couple of hundred years ago. I, you know, John, I don't know what it is, but why do these guys from a couple of hundred years ago always have this thing nailed down? <laughs> <laughs> we in our modern world is you know, like the Indy 500, you know, we miss it. But this is the statement he made. You are too fantastically created as a human being to have yourself as the center of your existence. And you say, what does that mean? Because human beings were created to have God as the center of their existence, actually living in their own spirit. And so with that fantastic creation design to have God in you, how could you settle for your own pitiful attempt to try to live by an external code? Oh my goodness, that's true freedom. Indeed it is. And we, unfortunately, we make thousands of choices. Uh, I'm trying to consciously not make those choices. Uh, we, but we still make default choices where we just don't think of ourselves as free as Christ died to make us. Mm. And so I've, oftentimes I will pray, Father, please open my eyes to the freedom that you gave me today. Show me what that looks like in my, in my walk with my friends, in my relationship with my spouse and my children, in my relationship with you. Show me what that freedom really looks like. You know, John, and if we can run with that thought, that is such a great thought. It's really very simple. It's the freedom to be a vessel of love. Yes. You were designed to be in relationship, to be in experience of God so that you could be the expression of God. And who is God? First John 4, God is love. And so I get people all the time. They say, well, I, I don't know what to do. Or they say, I don't trust myself. I want the law, so it'll tell me what to do. And I try to tell them, for one you can trust the Holy Spirit. He's not going to lead you into failure. But two, it's really, really simple. 
love God and do whatever you want. That's it in a nutshell. And most people can't handle that kind of freedom. They yes. want to be told what to do. The psalmist wrote, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Hmm. Yeah, he'll put desire in there. And I think the ultimate desire is to love God and love people. And like Jesus said, that will fulfill the righteousness of the whole law. If I love you, I won't kill you. If I love you, I won't steal from you. If I love God, I, I won't have another God before him. We say, well, Frank, that's too simple. Well, why would God make it complex? <laughs> right, because I have a hard time handling simple, never mind complex. You know, my friend, I want to take this down to where the rubber meets the road right now, because we're talking about, uh, we're talking about great truths that frankly, they don't, they don't always uh, evidence themselves in some of the choices that I make. And I know I've known you for decades, and I know they don't evidence themselves, evidence themselves in some of the choices you make. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, we won't uh, talk about those. No, we won't talk about that. We'll just admit that that's true for both of us. I want to jump to Romans 7. This is verses 19 and 20. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, for I don't do the good I want to do, mm -hmm. but the evil I don't want, that's what I keep on doing. Mm -hmm. But now this is where this is where the freedom really kicks in. Now, if I do what I don't want, it is no longer I who do it, but Mr. Sin that dwells in me. Okay, Frank, mm. unpack that for us. Well, I think we've got to go. It's a great question, John, and I'm so glad you're bringing this up. I think we have to go back to Ezekiel 36. You know, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful beyond all things. Now, I've got believers I deal with all the time who think that is true of them. Now, what I would tell them is this, not everything biblical is Christian. <laughs> that is certainly a statement in the Bible, but it doesn't mean it's a Christian statement. That is a statement that was made before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, before there was a new covenant. So in an old covenant, if you're in Adam, or you're an unbeliever, your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. That's just the way it is. But the moment you became a believer and put your faith in Christ, Ezekiel 36 says, he took away that heart and he gave you a brand new heart. And this is the struggle that's going on in Paul. He wants to. It is no longer a have to or an ought to or a should or a must when it comes to his desire to please God. His want to has been changed. He wants to please God. He wants to love people. But there's this thing in him called the power of sin that is not him and sometimes seduces him to act contrary to what his true desires are and who he really is. And that's where Paul almost says, you know, it wasn't me. It was the devil. The devil made me do it. <laughs> But we're responsible for that choice. And that's the problem. We chose to listen to that other voice. I've had a conversation with someone not too long ago, and it hinged on the age old uh, picture that many people have in our minds. In fact, I had it in my mind for many years that there's an old John mm -hmm. coexisting 
inside this body with the new John, and they both are arm wrestling for control. Kind of mm-hmm. like the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other. Well, Frank, this verse blows that image out of the water. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what's not going on here. The mm-hmm. I, my wants have been changed. And I don't want to do what the power of sin offers up to me as a temptation. But sometimes I listen and then I choose poorly. Boy, mm. you know, that, 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 that identifies the enemy in my mind, my friend, because I now know where the struggle is. I know where to focus my prayers, focus my attention, uh, not against something wrong with me that I'm half bad and half good. The enemy is outside of me, masquerading as me, trying to trick me into an endless do loop of, of condemnation. And this verse frees me from that. And that is, you know, John, that's why it's called good news. Yeah. Uh, that what you've just said in this Romans seven passage, of course, flows out of Romans six, that your old man was crucified, buried and resurrected brand new. So there's a power of sin that's an actor advisor, counselor, that's trying to get you to follow his counsel so that he will function as your master instead of Jesus being our master. And you know what'll happen to a lot of believers? I, I find this all the time. They'll get that bad thought and they'll say uh, something like, let's just do a male perspective, John. That's what we both are. Right. Uh, the females out there, they'll just have to try to understand but a pretty girl will walk by and the enemy will feed this thought, man, you know, I'd like to, whatever you have to understand first Corinthians two 16. It says we have the mind of Christ because of we're a new man and we're in union with Christ. So that thought did not come from us, but many Christians, when that thought pops in their brain, they'll say something like this. Oh, I must be so wicked to have thought that. How could I even be a Christian? And then the guilt and the condemnation as the law kicks in, I shouldn't have done that. I ought to be better. And down they go. When the reality is, if they just understood what the New Testament is teaching right here, we don't have to own that thought because we know the source of it. And we could simply say, "Uh uh-uh, I know where that thought came from. And I'm not buying it. My thought is, I'm a child of God. I am righteous. And whatever that thought was, it didn't originate from me because I'm a lover of that person, not a user of that person. And that leads to victory. So it really is a battle in the mind. You know, Romans 7 uses that same imagery when it talks about... uh, I'm reading now from verses 22 and 23. For I, the new born again, John, I delight in the law of God. Mm. But here's the big but. But I see in my members, in my body, another law that not just argues with or coerces. It wages war against the law of my mind and Mm. makes me captive to the law of Mr. Sin that dwells in my members. So there's a warfare going on here, bro. There's a battle. I've got a sound mind and I've got the mind of Christ. We've talked about that. This is not a 
what would Jesus do mimic? This is mm-hmm. actually one mind, one spirit with my God. Mm-hmm. But I am receiving thoughts, suggestions. Scripture calls it a tax. It's a warfare. So this mm-hmm. is this is a real wrestle, man. And the thing that gets me is that we have the choice. We have the power to choose to whom we will listen. Mm-hmm. The sound mind or the deceiver masquerading as the old Frank and the old mm. John. And boy, that is a battle that wages 24-7, 365 sometimes. Yeah, the enemy is a destroyer. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the battleground is in the mind. And mistakenly, a lot of Christians, John, fight against the thoughts And so they'll say something like this. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to think that. Well, what are you doing? You're thinking about it. That's right. And so I've got a friend of mine, and this is what he says. I can't keep thoughts from coming into my mind any more than I can keep the birds from flying over my head. He says, but I can certainly keep those birds from making a nest in my hair. He said, it's one thing to have a thought. It's quite another to invite it to sit down for a cup of tea. Yes, And so that's where the battle is. The battle is not to try and not have those thoughts, but the battle is to reject them once they come in and say, that's not my thought and replace it with the correct thought about who you really are who God is to you, and what your source of life really is. And that's the way to do this. You know, your uh, story about the birds not nesting in my hair reminds me many years ago, uh, my wife and I were teaching a a high school, Sunday school class, and we were talking about this topic. And we were discussing how to take these thoughts captive, as Paul Mm. instructs us in Corinthians. And this is the word picture that popped into my mind. Now, it's really, I'm going to warn you, it's really juvenile, but it worked for these kids. I said, take that thought that you just got in your mind, say it out loud, and then immediately afterward, say, in Jesus' name, Hmm. and then listen for any tension. Because when you speak the name of Jesus, Hmm. uh, he will reveal the tension, the lie, even if you don't understand it, he'll reveal that in such a way that you can say, hey, this may not be true. I better check more closely into that. And so again, very juvenile, but it was an effective tool that worked for that class at that time. Hmm. It's almost like taking that thought and putting it under a magnifying glass. Indeed. and, And saying, okay, is this a thought Jesus would have? And if it isn't, then you reject that thought. But, you know, Mr. Gillum did another thing, John, and this was really good. And thankfully, he was used to the Holy Spirit in in our lives. He said that the enemy will also speak in first person singular. Oh, yes. Those thoughts. Oh, yes. Do you remember that? He won't come to you and say, John, wouldn't you like to cuss that guy out? You would know that was an outside voice. Instead, he comes to you and says, I want to cuss that guy out. And you think it's your thought. 
but the mind of Christ wouldn't do that. So you put that magnifying glass, you say in Jesus' name, and you go, ooh, that's not my thought. Good word, John. That's right. And again, remember, the enemy is a deceiver. He's a liar and the father of lies and will do anything to keep us from identifying him working in us. So mm -hmm. if he masquerades as, as the old John, the old Frank, then he's got us wrapped around his finger. We can't win a battle against ourselves. Mm -hmm. We really can't. No, and, and one other thought to add to that, not only does he masquerade as us, he masquerades as an angel of light. Oh, yes, sometimes, and, yes. And so I think you say, well, Frank, how does he do that? He will speak with enough truth that the lie gets hidden. And the classic example of that, of course, is in the garden with Eve. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from, changed one word, every tree. God never said that. But instantly that casts doubt on the goodness and faithfulness of God. And Eve says at that point, well, you can't eat from that one. But the, in her mind now is God is holding out. And instantly then Satan can feed her the lie, you won't die. So it's, it's a progression. It's a subtle, deceptive, set the hook, and then bam. You know, you know it, it. it makes Paul's injunction command instruction to us to set our minds on things above even more important because only the things above will be true right just holy and worthy of praise everything mm -hmm. else suspect there you go okay man we've got one more thought okay and that is this that this war will never be over this side of heaven mm. it can be a, a series of major battles sometimes small skirmishes. The Apostle Paul, unfortunately, never tells us that the power of sin is defeated. In fact, he has his own struggle. Romans 7, who shall deliver me? And then he says, thank God, Jesus Christ has already made it. So Frank, wrap this up for us today. Yeah, that is a, a great way to end this, John, and as, not just to wrap this up, but to prepare us for next time. You know, I, I'm I went to, to seminary, I've read all the heavyweight theological books. And to be honest, at the end of that chapter, in chapter seven, there is a huge debate. Was Paul speaking as an unbeliever or was he speaking as a believer? And they spent all this time talking about that and missed the point of the passage. It's, I find the same thing happening in John chapter two, when Jesus turned water into wine. Was it grape juice? Was it wine? And they fight and they debate and they miss the point of the passage. The passage in John 2, it didn't matter whether it was water, grape juice, or wine. The point was, instead of replacing the wine in the wineskins, he had them do it in those ceremonial water pots that were being used for religious bondage. Jesus was declaring war on religion. Wonderful. So in, in Romans 7, it doesn't matter whether he was an unbeliever or a believer. What's happening there is he is stating what's going to happen to anyone 
believer or unbeliever, who decides to walk after the law. Because in 2 Corinthians 3, it says the law, when you follow it, is going to minister back to you death and condemnation. So if you're an unbeliever and you're trying to follow the Ten Commandments, you're going to feel guilty and condemned. And by the way, if you're a believer and you've got your eyes off of Christ and you've put them on the law, the law is going to minister death and condemnation. You say, well, then who will deliver me? That ushers in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit of God, who is the life giver of the life of Christ. And that's how we're going to walk. Oh, John, I can't wait for next week. Oh, yeah. And remember, friends, the whole focus of this has been centered around Romans 5, 17, living like royalty. And we've been discussing now for I don't even know how many weeks, all the nuts and bolts in making that true in our lives and in yours. So join us next week as we begin to wrap this up and we talk about living like royalty. Thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check us out at our website, www.ourresolutehope.com, and be sure to follow us on our social media platforms. And remember, today, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today, and you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you, as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.